of our human condition that for many, it has, it has caused them to reject God to some degree because they look around and they, they see the suffering and they say, well, how can God, how can there be a God that loves and that a God that is able to take things away and yet he doesn't do it? And, and I want to kind of dive into that a little bit tonight. But let's, let's first, let's just go to this, um, this passage here in 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. And here Peter is, is writing a letter and he's uh, really writing it to some ministers or specifically addressing the ministry in this portion of his letter. And he, he writes here, he says, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he might, that he may exalt you in due time. Casting all of your care upon him, for he careth for you. All those things that you carry around, all those heavy burdens, all those things that, uh, that you may worry about, he says, cast them upon God, because God cares for you. Then he says, be sober and be vigilant, which he's talking about your mindset, about having a, a mindset that is aware of the of the enemy and and just aware of of the things that are going to come against us to try to drive a wedge between us and God and and one of those things is suffering and, and pain it says be sober be be vigilant now, understand that your adversary the devil as a roaring lion is walking around and he's seeking whom he may devour he's he's seeking somebody who would uh, who would be vulnerable. He's seeking for vulnerable situations. It's like that lion that isn't going to attack the strongest among the herd, but he's going to look for the one that's vulnerable. And that's the one that he's going to try to devour. To whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. He's telling, he's, he's addressing people that are enduring afflictions, people who suffer, people, a, a church that is experiencing things that in themselves it, it may cause hurt. But what he says, you know, look around. There's, there's also people in the world that are enduring the same afflictions as you. So he's telling them, be steadfast in the faith. Be, be steadfast. No, you know, he's, He's saying the ones that are going to be vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy are those who are, uh, who are wavering, those, the ones who are not steadfast. So he's, he's saying if you don't want the, the enemy to devour you, if you don't want the enemy to overcome you, there's, there's got to be a, a sense of, of having your feet planted in God and, and, and standing on, on the truth that, that God is with you even in the midst of suffering, even in the midst of the affliction. Now that's easier said than done, but that's what he's, he's telling them here is that, is that there needs to be that steadfastness, that, that made up mindset that I, I am going to trust God no matter what. Verse 10, it says, but the grace of all, or, but the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that you have suffered a while, Notice that. He's going to call us to an eternal glory, but 
we will experience suffering. There will be suffering for all of us. He says, after that, he will make you perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. You know, this human condition of suffering is, as I said, common to all of us. Now, you might wonder, you know, why, why do I, why, why is pain necessary? Why did God uh, have to allow suffering and pain to exist? I, I read uh, from somebody that they said that pain is a gift that no one wants. Pain's a gift. And that's, <laughs> it, it, it really is true though. If you look at pain and what pain does, it, the, the fact that God allows there to be pain, that's a gift to us. See, when, when I mention leprosy, or actually today, uh, that leprosy is, it's more commonly known by the medical term Hansen's disease. It's still around. It's not, uh, quite as prevalent as it used to be. Um, even even here in the United States, though, there are those that that suffer from Hansen's disease or leprosy. But when I when I mention that disease, uh, if you know anything about it, perhaps it conjures up these really exaggerated images in your mind of these stubby fingers and and ulcerated wounds and missing legs and a face that has you know all these um, missing facial features and distort distortions of of things and. And while, while Hansen's disease or leprosy, while it's a very cruel disease, it's really, it's not cruel in the same way that many other diseases are. And that's because this disease, it acts as an anesthetic. It numbs the pain cells of the hands and the feet and the nose, the ears, the eyes. It numbs those pain cells so they cannot feel any pain. And you might think, well, I mean, that's not so bad. They, they can't feel any pain. What's, what's so awful about that? You know, most diseases, they cause pain. And that's, that's why the, those diseases are so cruel because of the pain that is connected to them. But this disease is, does the opposite. It removes pain. So, you know, what can make that so cruel? But the fact that this disease acts as an anesthetic Taking the pain away from its victims is the primary reason why destruction and decay of that tissue occurs. Now, you might have somebody with this disease who, um, this disease especially is, is still, um, primarily concentrated in, in Africa and in, in some parts of Asia. And you might have somebody, you know, there that they have leprosy, they have this disease and, and they may reach directly into a charcoal fire, you know, to get that potato that dropped and, and just grab that out thinking nothing of it because their pain receptors are not telling them not to do that. You may have 
uh, somebody who is working long hours, a laborious job where they're in the heat, they're shoveling rocks all day. All the while, they never realized that there was a nail that was shoved into their hand and they didn't even know it. They worked all day long with that nail gouging their hand and, and they didn't realize it's causing this damage, but their pain receptors were not working. And so, uh, that causes, uh, it causes the disease to then come in, uh, or causes the, uh, the deterioration of, of that tissue and, you know, or maybe they, they walk over broken glass. They don't even realize that they have all these cuts on their feet. And, and so this is why you see the pictures of, of those with the deteriorating tissue. And it's because they never felt the pain. You see, pain, it's a gift. And I mean, Hansen's disease, it's, it's not the only disease that causes pain to be dulled. There's, there's other things that remove the sense, uh, the sense of pain. There's other more common diseases, you can even get it with diabetes. You can get that that pain that uh, is is much lessened. Those pain sensors, even even just uh, you know somebody who's an alcoholic or a drug addict, they can see their pain sensitivities very much dulled. And and for people who, who suffer such a lack of pain, these other clues they have to really you know depend on these other clues, their sight and, and different things. In order to keep themselves from harm. And so we see that pain, it's a gift. It, it really, it frees us to enjoy normalcy on this planet. Because without pain, we would lead this unbalanced, paranoid life where you're, you're encountering unknown dangers and you're always wondering, am I going to, uh, encounter something today that I'm not even going to know it's hurting me? But yet I'm going to end up, you know, having a finger that was chopped off and I didn't even know. Now, pain allows us to react instantly in the moment because of that. And, and I would say from this understanding of pain, I want to raise a question. And that is that what can God use to speak loudly enough so that we'll pay attention? What? What can convince us that this earth is not running the way that God intended for his, for his creation to actually interact with him? It's pain. Pain is, is one of these ways. In fact, C.S. Lewis has a, a phrase that I, I agree with. He says, pain is the megaphone of God. Pain is the megaphone of God. And I would, I agree with that because pain, it, it shouts at us. You know, when, when I stub my toe or I twist an ankle, pain, it shouts to my brain that something is wrong. And similarly, that existence of, of suffering on this earth is, is, I believe, this scream within us that something is wrong. That it halts us to, to consider the fact of, of, how life is here on earth and it, it ought to make us consider, you know, what would life be like if I did not have this? If I did not have suffering, if I did not uh, have this pain in my life, what what would life be like? And it begins to allow us to think about something far greater than what we have here on earth. And we can believe that the purpose of life here on earth is to be comfortable. 
the purpose of life here, you know, is, is just to enjoy uh, everything that, that we have offered to us to, you know, to build a nice home and to enjoy good food, to give in to, to your lusts, to, to, you know, just live a good life. And there's some people that I would say that that's what they believe it's all about. That's the purpose of life. But um, I would say that the presence of suffering really complicates that thought. That that's all that life is about. It's, it's much harder to believe that the world is here just so that I can party when a third of its people go to bed hungry every night. It's much harder to believe that the purpose of life is just to feel good when I see someone step into a supermarket and take the lives of 10 people just because the color of their skin is different than theirs. It's much harder to believe that the world is just about enjoying yourself after a pandemic in which just here in the country that we live in, a million lives have been taken from that. Some of them, people that you know, that you love, that you cared for. When you're faced with pain yourself or even the pain and the suffering of, of a loved one, it's much harder to believe that the purpose of life is simply about enjoyment and comfort. No, you begin to think about, you know, the grander thing. It's got to be more than just me being happy. Life, there has to be a purpose to life. When you begin to see that there is pain and suffering in this, it's, it's not just about an escape from pain and just an escape from, from suffering. It's about, it, it, it begins to put some things into a larger picture. That if this world were all that we knew, then life itself would, would be hollow. You begin to look even at your own enjoyment and, and things and you, you realize for somebody who suffers, even me just in, in, a, in a state of enjoyment where I'm not suffering, that's pretty hollow. That, especially then when we begin to, when, or when you're experiencing pain, like, you realize there's, there's more to life than just the joy. Anyone who wants to be satisfied with this world, who, who wants to think that the only reason for living is to enjoy a good life, they, they've got to plug their ears for a long, you know, pretty, pretty tightly because that megaphone of pain is yelling out to tell us this isn't how things are supposed to be. The suffering really isn't how things are supposed to be. Now, that's not to say that God is is coming in right now to take it all away. But from the beginning, God never intended for it to be pain and suffering. That was introduced with sin. That was introduced when Adam and Eve brought sin into the world and pain and suffering then began. And it reminds us that things now are not as they were supposed to be. And the responses that, that I've seen by those who suffer then, who experience pain, it's, it's, it's a varied response. Because for some, God's megaphone can drive them away from Him. They may hate God for allowing them to experience the misery and the, the pain and the suffering and all these things. And, and they may, they may hate God for the fact that, uh, that there are people that are, that are, uh, lost and or people that are, that are hungry and 
and there are people that are experiencing natural disasters and you know they didn't do anything to to uh, deserve uh, deserve that and you know for some it drives them away from God where on the other hand on the other hand you see people that they experience pain and they experience suffering and it they see things in a different light and they are drawn to God they believe they believe God when when he says that there's something greater beyond this life where there is pain, that there is another place that I have prepared for you, that there is no pain, there is no suffering. You're not going to experience any of that as long as, or, you know, for all of those who would follow me and trust me. And so they're drawn to God because we want to escape this someday. I want to escape the pain and the suffering and all of this someday. And and I believe that God does have a place prepared for me. Amen? See, but just because we know and we accept that there is a pain-free existence in our future, in, in that heavenly home, it does not always make it easy to deal with that suffering right now in the present. Now, don't, don't we see in Scripture where where God, He intervenes on the behalf of His people. Where God will, will come and He will do good to those who are good. He'll punish those who are evil. And, and don't we see these, these promises that are in scripture about how God will, will cover His people from harm and, and He'll, you know, they're not gonna have to endure affliction. And sometimes that's in our, in our mind, the fact that there are scriptures that point to that. And yes, we can find them. In fact, I'll just read a couple of them. It's in James chapter 5, verse 14. There it tells us, is any sick among you? Then let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. In the prayer of faith, what does it say? It shall save the sick. The prayer of faith shall save the sick. And the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. So we have this promise. This promise of, if you're sick, come, let's pray. And that prayer of faith shall save the sick. The Lord shall raise him up. And if you've committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. We have have other instances here of uh, of promises that are given that... uh, would, would point to if you are doing good, then you won't experience bad. In Exodus, we can go all the way back to uh, where, where God's dealing with the people of Israel. In Exodus chapter 15, it tells us that if thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and will do that which is right in his sight, and will give ear to his commandments, and keep all of his statutes, then I will put none of these diseases upon thee, which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. This was a promise that God had to his people, the Israelites, where they looked around at, uh, at the Egyptians, the ones who had enslaved them. And God says, as long as you keep my statutes, as long as you, uh, basically, let's just say, as long as you're good, then you're not going to experience the pain and the suffering and the diseases that they're experiencing. We see it again in just a couple chapters later in Exodus 23. 
It says, and you shall serve the Lord your God, and he shall bless thy bread and thy water, and I will take sickness away from the midst of thee. As long as you serve the Lord, then you will not experience sickness. And so we see these, these scriptures and we hold on to them. And this is, a, you know, I have faith. I believe that. But yet we look around and we, we see um, that there are sick among us. That we ourselves will get sick at times. That we ourselves suffer. And that we see around us even those who love God greatly. And are good and they do keep the commandments of God that, that there still is suffering that is experienced among the body of Christ. And, and so, and so we see somewhat of a mixed response or kind of a, a almost you might say some mixed signals somewhat throughout scripture. Now I don't believe that it is truly a mixed signal and that God is not, uh, God is not confused about uh, how um, how he deals with uh, with pain and with suffering. I believe that faith and healing can go hand in hand with the fact that suffering and pain will exist. See, we see this and in fact Jesus even addresses it Jesus he he addresses at, at times you know where does where what is the culprit of suffering and pain what's the source of it because at that time in particular um among the Jews there was a very um pretty established belief that suffering and pain especially sickness uh it it was onset by the fact that somebody had sin in their life. In fact, if somebody was born blind, then it was because the parents had sin in their life. If somebody was born with a disease, it's because their family, uh, you know, had, had something wrong that they were doing. And, and so it, it, it went over into so many other areas that basically bad things happen to bad people. Suffering happens to, to people that have things wrong with them. And, and Jesus was asked this question of, of somebody. It's in Luke chapter 13 that we see this, uh, this question asked. And, um, it comes after Jesus. In fact, I'll, I'll address this first. This is before the question is, is even posed. Uh, we see Jesus. He's on his way to go and heal, uh, Jairus' daughter. He's, he's going there. She's, uh, she's, been sick and on his way there is the woman who presses through the crowd she touches the hem of of the garment of Jesus and she's healed of of this disease that she had had that for 18 years she had experienced bleeding and uh it, it's gone to all these doctors it it was not healed and Jesus tells us in Luke 13:16 that that uh the the issue of blood that this woman had been dealing with for 18 years Jesus says that it was caused by Satan. And then he heals her of that condition, effectively loosing her from the bondage of Satan. Well, that's kind of interesting. That Jesus said that her condition, her disease that she was dealing with, was an attack of the enemy. It was, it was something that was caused by him. And he, taught, he used the, the phrase that loosed you from the bonds 
this bondage that you've been under for 18 years just by you, the faith that you had to touch the hem of my garden garment. And so we see Jesus addressing there the uh, where the the source of some suffering may come from. But yet in the same chapter, Jesus is then asked the question by somebody else about suffering. Where where is um, where does suffering originate from? And he almost sidesteps the question. This is this question of of causality of of suffering and somebody had this is the this is the situation that they had posed to Jesus. There were a group of Jews who they had been slaughtered by a Roman governor, and uh, they were they were there in the temple and they had been slaughtered and and they want to know why were these people slaughtered? You know what did they do to deserve that kind of treatment? And Jesus simply responded to them by saying, well, do you think that these men were worse sinners than other men from Galilee? He responds with a question. He, he did that a lot. He's trying to get them to, to think. He's, he's saying something by the question, but he doesn't just give an answer. Instead, he gives that response. What do you think? They're wanting to know, what did these people do to deserve to be slaughtered? What did they do? What, what did their families deserve, do to deserve this kind of suffering that they're experiencing? And, and he just says, what, what do you think? Do you think that they're any worse? Do you think that they're any worse than all the other men of Galilee? And then Jesus himself brings up another tragedy. He follows that up by pointing to a tower that had... Uh, fallen over there in the region. And, and when that tower fell over, it killed 18 people. And, and he asked that same question. What do you think? Did the, do you think that the 18 people who died, that, that they were, um, that they were any worse sinners than the others that were around them? And what Jesus was trying to say by this was that these people, they had nothing unusual to deserve. They had done nothing unusual to deserve their fates. That, they were the same as other men. They were the same as, as others. They, they, they were not more sinful. This fate that befell them was not because of some sin in their life. He addresses this again with, uh, with a blind man who's healed. And, and uh, he asks even his disciples uh, who, who they thought that uh, he was born, this, this man who was born, uh, that it was because of the sin that was in his family. And, and Jesus addresses that. He says, no, it's not because of the sin. He wasn't born blind because of sin. So he's dispelling this notion that the people had about suffering, that it only came to those who had something wrong with them. You know, perhaps here, going back to this, the tower situation, perhaps the tower is simply fell because it was built poorly. God didn't cause this thing to happen. He also didn't stop it from happening. And, you know, just because God can step in and into this created world and intervene so that harm does not come upon someone does not mean that God caused it to happen. Just because, just because God is able to stop something from happening doesn't mean God caused it to happen. But He did allow it to happen. And that's is somewhat of a difficult thing to wrestle with. God, why would you allow suffering to exist? Why would you allow 
these things to happen. If you are able to stop them from happening, then why do you allow them to happen? See, God does allow suffering to exist. And really it can, it can serve as this, you know, a, a megaphone to, to this morality situation that I do see, uh, in scripture many times, especially in the Old Testament where suffering does happen more to those who are evil than to those who are good. There are many instances in scripture, uh, where we do see that the, the, the evil means of, of somebody is their ultimate downfall. And so there is some morality to it. But it's also evidence that pain and suffering has nothing to do with one's standing with God. That is, the scriptures say that this uh, this pain, suffering, this, it will rain on the just and the unjust. That we will all experience it. That God, He may not be pointing us to look inwardly to assess things within our lives. You know, that, that may not be the point of suffering. It, it may not be for us to, to begin to look inwardly. And this is what I've seen with some that, that they, they come to a place where they're, they're, they're sick or they're, they're, they're experiencing suffering and pain in some, some sense. And they begin to search themselves and, you know, they're saying, what did I ever do wrong? What did I ever do to deserve this? And the, the answer is you never, you didn't do anything to deserve it. And so don't beat yourself up about this because it's not about you deserving something. It's, it's the fact that, that pain and suffering is, is common to all of us. Now, now the better question that we, perhaps we, we should ask to this, uh, to this famous question, which is why would God allow suffering to exist? Maybe the, the more appropriate question is how does God respond to human suffering? So human suffering exists. We, we've, we've already seen that, that God does not insert himself into every situation and, and cause suffering to, to not be present. And, and we could get into that why, uh, why I believe that is. In fact, I'll just, I'll try to summarize it quickly. If suffering didn't ever exist, then really there is no, uh, no reason to choose to serve God. In fact, that is really the, the whole reason why we have this story of Job for us in scripture, which is probably the, the greatest, most thorough look at suffering and, uh, that, that we have in scripture. And this all started, this all started with this question of, uh, of freedom of choice. Because that's what, that's what Satan was, uh, that's what he was coming to God and accusing God of, of this fact that humans don't really have the freedom of choice. They don't really love you. Just because they are choosing to love you. You know, this Job guy that's here, he only loves you because you keep blessing him for being good. And the more that you bless him, the more that, uh, the more that causes him to love you. And, and if he 
didn't bless him like that, then he would no longer love you. He would no longer choose to love you. It's, he's accusing God of this fact that freedom, um, you know, the freedom that we have to, to love God and to serve God isn't a true freedom. And so God says, all right, let's test it out. I kind of wish that if I was Job, that I wouldn't have been the example that Satan had. Because we have a man here that he was, he says he was the most righteous man on all the earth. He was a very wealthy man. He had a large family, had a lot of kids. He had a lot of property and, and barns and animals and all these things. And just in a matter of, of days or even hours, we see all of that came crashing down when God allowed Satan to come in and to test this fact that he only loved him because of the blessings and that it wasn't a choice. There was no choice in the matter. And, and so we see him, uh, after just hours, uh, gone, go by, gets report after report after report. Your children died in the, uh, in a storm that, that caused the, the house or the, that they were in to fall down on them. And, and all of your animals have died and, and all of your buildings are gone. And so everything that he has is gone. And then a second attack comes. Now this time it's, it's an attack on him. He's experiencing all this pain, these boils that, uh, these painful boils that are all over his body. And basically all he has left is his wife and a few friends. And they keep coming to him and they're telling him, you got something that you're hiding. You have some kind of hidden sin that you have not confessed. And it's a long book of Job. But if you were to summarize all their different arguments, all these different things, and that's what the Job, Job uh, that book is, if you read it, it's all these arguments of his friends and even his wife, and, and then Job arguing back to them about them telling him, you have all these bad things happening to you, you're suffering because you've done something wrong, and you need to just confess this fact that you've done something wrong. And Job then saying, I haven't done anything wrong. I don't know why these things are happening to me, but I haven't done anything wrong. In fact, there's times where he even gets mad at God and saying, God, what have I done to deserve any of this? We see him in this back and forth conversation and, and really, Job, he probably had more, uh, more reason than anybody on earth to say that God is unjust. And yet, by the end of, of this all, actually even before the, the end of it all, where he kind of gets everything back, but, but Job, he, he comes to a place where he still believes that God is a just God. And he will not deny God. And he will not walk away from him. And this proves this, this fact of, of freedom that, that even when things are not going well, even through suffering, that we can still serve God and trust God and, and have faith in God. And even in that, we see this life of Job where he is experiencing all this pain and this suffering and he continues to, to have faith in God and, and, and to, to not walk away. You know, sometimes if we're not careful, we can make similar statements to the friends of Job, to those that are around us that are suffering. 
Sometimes we can, we can make statements to them. You know, if you just pray harder, then God will heal you. If you just have more faith than God, he'll take away your suffering. He'll heal you. It's, it's not God's will for you to suffer. And, and you need to come to God. You need to repent. You need to believe that he can make you whole. And while all these things are true, I believe that, uh, that, that we do need to pray and we do need to have faith and that we can pray for healing and that God does heal. And in the midst of all of this, I don't want us to, to, to get an, a false understanding that God doesn't still heal and that God doesn't still uh, come and intervene in situations and that God is able to make a way when there is no way. But yet, uh, just because they're suffering does not mean that there is something wrong with us. Sometimes we learn through the suffering. It's not always about praying harder or searching for some fault within us or even trying to muster up enough faith in God. Because suffering comes and it reminds us. That there comes, there is a day that's, that's coming that I am going to suffer no more. That there will be no pain. That there will be no suffering. In fact, even in this, I can join, I, I, I can, uh, join in with the suffering of Christ. We see a scripture that talks about, I should have written that down here, but it talks about, uh, joining in and, and counting it a joy to suffer with Christ. Not, not just suffering for Christ. Which that's a thing as well. You can suffer for the cause of Christ. The fact that you love God and that you are committed to him. You can suffer for that. But you can also suffer with Christ. Because he came and he suffered. God came down to earth and he suffered. And when we suffer, we experience that same thing that he experienced. That he took on the weight of the world. He took on the sin of the world. Better get back to that question that I said. Which is. Why does a, um, or how does God respond to human suffering? That's a better question, really, than why does God allow suffering? How does God respond to human suffering? And when you ask that question, it gives us a new point of view of human life and this reality of suffering that it will provide new power which can sustain us in, in the midst of this suffering that we encounter, that God's response to suffering, it's demonstrated in the fact that he came to redeem us. Actually, I'll just, I'll I'll sum all this up in three easy points right here. If you don't remember anything else from all of this tonight, remember this. What is God's response to human suffering? It is that God did something. He is doing something. And he will do something. That's God's response to human suffering. When you look across the world and you see those who are suffering or you even look just across the bedroom and you see somebody who is suffering you you realize that God he did something he came and he died on a cross so that we can experience eternal life he did something for us 
He was the answer when it, when that with that uh, prophecy long long ago when sin first entered into the wor- into the world, where it said that that Satan that the, the serpent may uh, may bruise the the heel of of. The, the child, but that the child would step on and crush the head of the serpent. That was a prophecy about how Jesus or how God would come down and that he would come as as the the the, the man uh, who would become the sacrifice for sin and that, that he would be able to take away the consequence of sin and that by him coming down and Jesus dying on a cross he did something for us that suffering no longer has to be a, fi- a finality for us that suffering will end and in fact even by his stripes we are healed and that we have faith and hope in that, that we can find healing because he suffered. So he did do something. In fact, he's still doing something that even now, I believe that through his body, through the church, we partake in the, in the, in the, in what God is doing about suffering even now. A part of what we are called to do as the body of Christ, is to help those who are suffering, to feed the hungry, to heal the brokenhearted, to help those who are without a place to live. That we're here, not in it, it's not just circumstantial suffering, but it's, it's also emotional suffering and and. and and mental suffering and things that uh, that on the inside that that God is uh, still placing us here to to help hurt those who have been who have been hurt and and their lives have been shattered and God has placed His body here to help those who are suffering and so I believe that that as long as the church is here that God is still doing something about the suffering that He could have. Just allowed things to progress the same way that they were progressing even all the way back to the days of Noah. When you saw evil that was going throughout the world and, and, and instead God said, no, 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 we gotta do something about this suffering. And, and we saw that again at, at various times where, where God, He would, He would inject His people into the world to help with the, the circumstances of the world. In fact, that was, that's part of go ye into all the world and preach the gospel and live the gospel. Do, do what I've called you to do. Do, do what I've taught you to do, which is to go and to help those who are suffering. I better wrap this up because not only did God do something, not only is God doing something, but he will do something about it. There is coming a day when there will be a white throne judgment and all that we did talk about uh, as far as human suffering here on earth, how it's not necessarily reflective of being good or bad. There will come a day when when our morality or our um, the fact of, of if you have been saved and if you have uh, followed God, if you are uh, called by his name it, on, on that day of judgment, he will separate on that day uh, the, the sheep from the goats. And God will supper, separate the ones who um, will experience an etern- eternal uh, life in heaven and those who will experience eternal life in hell. 
So he will do something. There, there is judgment that's coming. I had so many more notes tonight, but we're going to drop off here tonight as far as what I feel God leading us to. And this tonight, I, I just, in us, sometimes we, we wonder, God, where are you? But you know that God is, he's as close as the mention of his name. And perhaps you even wonder, you know, how do I minister to somebody else who they see suffering all around them? And, and I don't know what to say. I don't have an answer to tell them. I don't have a good, a good answer to, to say to, to the person who they're experiencing loss and they're, they're wondering why did this happen? And, and, and the fact is I don't have the, the, the answer. I, I'm not God and I don't know. God never, He doesn't give us a reason for why He operates in, in every way that He operates. But there are bad things that happen to good people. But through it all, I know that God is here with me. And that God, in the midst of my suffering, he will never leave me. That God is just, he he will never forsake me. That God is close by. And that I learn patience through it. I learn faith through it. I learn that he, I learn to trust him. In fact, if I never had to experience any of this suffering, I probably wouldn't be as close to God as I am because of it. I wonder if we could just all stand here tonight as we wrap this up. Amen. That we could just learn in this that, that there is a God who wants to comfort. There is a God who he, he, he is doing something about our suffering. There is a God who came and he did something for our suffering. Amen. And I look forward to that day. Amen. I look forward to that day when we no longer have to experience this messed up world that we live in right now. Amen. But there's coming a day when heaven, amen, will be my home and I don't longer have to experience what it's like here in this broken world. Amen. But right now, for right now, God, I will trust you and I will, I will stick by you, Lord, as long, God, as you, you are here with me and let's, let's just lift up our hands all around this place in Jesus name.